For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. Let the, let the weight of this truth settle in your heart in a fresh way this morning. That God calls you His Son. He knows your name. He knows you. He loves you. 1 John 3, 1 says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. So, Father, open our eyes to see the truth of what this means, that you call us sons, that you love us so much, that you gave your one and only Son, Jesus, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be restored, cleansed, washed in your blood. And here we are in this gorgeous morning declaring your praises, thankful that you call us sons. God, take us deeper into this truth of what that really means. May we be men who hear your voice, who have ears that hear the words of the Holy Spirit. May we be men who walk in confidence and walk in strength knowing that we have a good Father. Our Father knows our name. We're not alone, but we walk with the presence of the Most High every single day. Yes, God, take us deeper into that truth. Now what I want to encourage you to do, just put your hand on a man's shoulder next to you. Let's just take a few moments and pray this over one another too. I think it's powerful to pray for one another. And so just quietly, it doesn't even have to be out loud, just in your own in your own words, begin to pray for the men to your right and to your left. That they would grow in their understanding of God's incredible love, this love that goes beyond all comprehension. They'd have the power to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of God. Pray for their families. Pray protection for their families and for an increase of joy, an increase of peace and unity in the family. God, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We pray that in a fresh way there would be an empowerment today that we as men would live by the Spirit, not in our own strength, not in our own ideas, that we would walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, that we would be a people marked by the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Everybody says amen. All right, guys. Good morning. Go ahead and have a seat. 
You're looking bright-eyed, ready to go, ready to attack another day. I want to highlight a couple things, then I'm going to invite Alan to come share uh, for a few minutes this morning. But I want to draw your attention to the tables. We have a couple of different drop cards uh, promoting two different events that are coming up that I really want to encourage you to join us at. The first one's uh, Men's Night Out. This is August 24th, so it's coming up in a few weeks. It's a Wednesday night, and this is going to be a lot of fun. What we're going to do is set up some hoops, basketball hoops. Uh, I know it's football season, but just work with me here. We're going to set up some basketball hoops and have a three-on-three basketball tournament. Now, each team of three... It's an intergenerational tournament, so each team of three has to have a man under than, younger than 30, a man between 30 and 50, and a man over 50. All right, how many of you are older, older than 50? How many of you still have some skills? Come on. This is your chance to shine. This is your night of glory, man. So you'll see on this drop card, you can email Joanna Harding, uh, with the names of the people who are going to be on your team. Anybody claiming victory right now, just you know your team's going to win? You want to start, start talking smack before it even starts? Uh, and then we're going to be grilling some burgers and dogs. Then we'll go into the theater at 7. We'll have a time of worship together. And then uh, Brandon Slay, who's an Olympic gold medalist wrestler, is going to share. He's a neat man, and so I think you're going to want to hear it. Uh, so that's going to be a powerful night, but it's going to be a lot of fun. So invite your, invite your friends and join us. It's August 24th. And then the last thing is you'll see a drop card here promoting the Men's Mountain Advance. The reason we do this is because how many of you would agree it's easy to get into just a rhythm in life that it's just it's fast-paced. We're going, going, going. We've got a lot of demands. There are a lot of different things pulling on us. And the point of this advance is to slow down, to unplug a little bit, and allow God to refresh you. And so this is going to be a weekend where I think God's going to refresh you and encourage you. I think you'll be renewed spiritually. But also it's going to be a great opportunity to really connect with some other men and to have some, have some fun. There's going to be all kinds of adventure happening that weekend. So that's September 9th to the 11th. And uh, you can register on uh, the website, newlifechurch.org. Okay, without further ado, I want you guys to to really listen carefully this morning. I've had the privilege of getting to know Alan. I probably met him three or four years ago when I was in the process of writing a book and one of my friends said, hey, you really need to meet this this guy uh, named Alan Arnold. And so I met with Alan, just really, really enjoyed meeting him and talking to him that first morning. And then from there, we just struck up this friendship. And one of the things I've really respected about uh, Alan is just the way he does life, and he'll share some of his story this morning, but essentially he was a senior executive vice president at Thomas Nelson, a large publishing house, and so uh, if, you, if you looked at his life from a, the world's perspective, it'd be easy to say, wow, this man has it made. He's got everything that the world would say is good, but God began stirring his heart and asking him to step out of the boat. And he did, and uh, he moved here to Colorado, and he's now on, on uh, the Ransomed Heart staff working with John Eldridge. And one of the things that's so clear to me about Alan is he's a man who genuinely walks with God. He desires to know the heart of God and on a daily basis walk with him. 
and love him and listen to him. And so help me uh, give a warm welcome here to Alan Arnold. Hey guys, morning. So I want to talk to you a little bit today on identity and sonship. And just everybody's story starts somewhere. I was, I was a Christian from almost the time I can remember. Young boyhood, always at church. Loved God the way I knew how. But really believed for the better part of my life. I'm 51 and my journey of sonship started four years ago. I knew about sonship before then. I could define it. I could teach a Sunday school lesson on it. I understood it, but I didn't know how to live it. And so what I ended up doing was living a life in the publishing world, in the corporate world, uh, that was a very driven, high-productivity life. I found a fortune cookie at a restaurant when I was eating when I was in my 20s, and the fortune inside said... The one who says it can't be done should get out of the way of the one already doing it. And I thought, man, that's it. I'm going to be that guy. I'm, I'm going to be the guy that's the one doing it. And I'll rise up that way because I'll always, no matter how many people I'm in a room with, I'll be the guy that gets it done. And that, it's, it's pretty dangerous when you take your life philosophy from a fortune cookie. But I did, I mean, I had that taped on my desk. And unfortunately, it worked really well on an outward level. There was one time, this was before 9-11, there was one time where we had a, a video shoot where we were gonna go for an author in San Antonio. Some of you have heard of Max Lucado. We were going to his house. I was gonna lead this video shoot for a book he was doing. And so the video crew and I were on a getting ready to get on a plane. And I got on a phone call, look up, everybody's boarded. And so they had the windows kind of like this at the airport. And so I run up, and the lady who is working at the counter says, you know, I'm sorry, the flight's already left. And I was like, no, the flight hasn't left. The plane's, like, right there. I, I got to get on that plane. And she's like, oh, no, the plane's boarded. It's, it's left. And she dismissed me and kind of walked away. When my video crew was on the plane, I knew I, this was our number one author. And so I stood there for a second, and this was just the mindset I had at that time. I was like, well, there's the emergency doors right here. And so I just walked out, down the ramp, stood in front of the plane, like literally faced off, face to face with the plane. And, and, and the pilot came out and was bewildered, and he just asked me what I was doing on the runway in front of their plane, and I said, well, I'm actually on the plane, and this guy needs to get off. Whoever got my ticket needs to get off, who was on standby. And it, they did. And I got on the plane. And everybody was mad at me except the video crew. But it was that sheer kind of controlling bull in a china shop guy. I, I had become that guy. And my bosses loved me because I got stuff done. But internally, my heart was growing really numb. Because I was only as good as what I could do the next time. So it was a life of doing, doing, doing. And finally, my boss called me to lunch one day, immediate boss, and, and I thought he was going to promote me, maybe congratulate me on the success we were having. And he, and he said, Alan, I just got to ask you, do you know your team thinks you're, and I'll, I'll tone it down, you're, you're a real jerk. They don't enjoy your presence at all. 
they'll stay with you because you're really successful and they get bonuses, but they don't enjoy your presence. They just enjoy your productivity. And that, for the first time in my life, I took that in and didn't push back. And it was a moment where I just said, God, I don't really want to be that man. Like, that's not the guy I want to be outwardly, a lot of success inwardly. I'm weary, worn out, and I have no idea how to be your son. So that started for me a journey of sonship. And in this presentation today, it's, it's not long. It's uh, pretty short, but it's on identity. And the big question is, who are you? And here's the thing, that gets translated into the world today and what do you do? It's all about doing. It's all about how you spend your time. And we learn to do more of what gets noticed or rewarded more. I mean, from the time you were a boy, you were good at some sports, not good at other sports. You were good at some topics, not good at other things. You were known for your strength or your humor or your wit or your intelligence Whatever it was, you gravitated to that, and you also learned to avoid what didn't work well. That's true in our marriages, our churches, and our careers. We gravitate toward what we do well and the world rewards, and we stay away from and avoid what we're nervous about or feel like a little boy in or unproven in. And when it comes to identity, I'm going to give you four different things that attack your identity, that are opposed to your identity, your true identity. The first is the world tries to define us. It focuses on your productivity rather than your presence. The world focuses and tries to name you based on what you do. If you think about it, when you're at some event, some gathering like this, if, if we all had a social time right now, after you ask somebody's name, the very next thing, guaranteed, you're going to ask them or they're going to ask you is, so, so what do you do? What, what do you do? We define others by what they do. We can't help it. Not who they are, but what they do. Their productivity, not their presence. We focus on the external rather than the internal. And guys, we also focus on doing rather than being. A lot of our marriages are based on this. When our wife does what we like, we're pretty happy. When our kids do what we want them to do, things go pretty well. When our employees do what we want them to do, it's a shift that we've got to make if we want to live from identity from doing to being. Here's a sign. I want to show you this. This was at a YMCA here in town. My youngest son is on a basketball team. So we go to the Y, we go into play, and this was the sign on one of the walls. Four questions. What are you doing? What are you supposed to be doing? Are you doing that? What are you going to do? When are you going to start? See, this, this poster sign is an orphan sign, an orphan mindset. It's what are you doing? And notice the tone. The tone is very, would you say friendly? It's, it's almost finger pointing. It's almost saying, clearly you don't know what the heck you're doing. When are you going to start doing it? And what are you going to do? It's all about doing. This is the world right here, by the way. 
This is a sign that the world has out most of the time, wherever we go. And by the way, the person who did it, not only are they accusing an anal, but they asked five questions and they labeled it four questions, which, which bugged me even more at the moment. God doesn't ask these kind of questions. These are questions that the world asks. Second, the enemy, the world defines us or tries to, the enemy tries to destroy us. We have an enemy, he's in our story, and his goal, as John 10 says, is to kill, steal, and destroy. So we have an enemy who is out to tell you who you are. The enemy, since you were a boy, has tried to steal your story and tell you what you're not and what you are. A lot of times it's the thoughts that go through your head, I'm an idiot, I'm no good, I... My father told me, because of his own brokenness and woundedness years ago, when I was, when I was a young man, he said, yeah, uh, Arnold men just don't make good husbands, like they just don't. And he had gone through a divorce himself with my mom. He had bought into the enemy's lies on who he was. And dangerously, in a way he was trying to be helpful, was passing down this toxicity to a son. See, the enemy chose the wrong story. The enemy rebelled against God and lost everything. And he's intent on you choosing the wrong story, on you doing the same thing, on you losing your identity and who you are. Third, your fears will limit you. We tend to legitimize our worries and concerns, our fears, we think it's okay. Christians all the time, Christian men talk about, yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of worried about this or I yeah, I don't know how that's going to work out. I I have no idea what's going to happen and we pat our bets. We legitimize our fears. We live from an identity where fear takes over. And here's the thing, guys, how can you ever experience a miracle if you never put yourself in a position to need one? As a son of God, we need to be putting ourselves in positions where if God doesn't come through, we're hosed. When's the last time you put yourself in a position where if God did not come through, that was it? Trusting him with your kids that way, with your marriage that way, with your business that way? See, if you never put yourself in the position to need a miracle, I didn't ever do that. When, when I was that hard-driving man, I tried to control everything. So I didn't really sense much of God's presence because I never put myself in a position to really need much of his presence. Number four, the illusion of control will force you into smaller stories. We don't control anything. We think we do. We don't. You don't control your next breath. You can try to eat healthier, you can try to work out more, you can try to do the best decisions in life on everything, and the bottom line is, it's out of your control. You can be really healthy and a car pops you in the parking lot on the way out. Your days are not your own. 
Control is an illusion, and the only way to try to maintain that illusion is to keep living in a smaller and smaller and smaller story. Because you try to live a big story, well, it's clearly out of your control. If God doesn't come through, it doesn't work. But if you're living in a small story, you can have that illusion for a while. All four of these things, guys, erode your identity. Here's the deal, though. None of those four things have been given the power to name you. Only the creator can name his creation. And only the father can name his children. That's a really cool truth. But here's the question. Do you see God's primary identity as a father? I was at a lunch the other day, and it was a Christian gathering, and the person across the table from me was talking about their story. And, they, and the husband and wife were saying, yep, we moved here to Colorado, and it's been super hard. And I guess it's just going to stay hard till we learn whatever God's trying to teach us. And they kept on talking about that. And finally, and I didn't know them. And finally I said, I, I don't know your story fully, but I've got to just interrupt for a second because it sounds like the primary identity you see of God is a teacher, a taskmaster. And if you do, then the primary thing for you to do is learn his lessons. If you're a student, you better learn what the teacher is teaching. If you see God primarily as the potter and you're clay, well, you better just mold to whatever. He is the potter. He is a teacher. But his primary identity, I think that he loves most, is father. That's what I think he loves most. And so if we see God primarily as father, then when hard times come, we don't immediately go to, what is the lesson I need to learn? If you had a four-year-old son and things weren't going good, you can either go, Dad, why, what are you trying to teach me? Or, or, you could, or you could say, Dad, I love you. I trust you. I'm your son. Let's do this together. It's a shift in mindset. And if you can see God primarily as father, then your primary identity becomes that of a son. Yeah, we're a lot of other things. But our primary core identity can become a son. 2 Corinthians 16, Gabe was going through some of these. I want you all for myself. I'll be a father to you. You'll be sons and daughters to me. That sounds like a jealous lover. That sounds like a father who lavishes upon his children. Galatians 4 says, doesn't that privilege of intimate conversation with God make it plain you're not a slave but a child? We're not a slave, but a son. If you don't live that way as a son, you're really living as an orphan. And here's the deal, guys. You can believe in God, and you can totally miss doing life with God. I did that for a good bit of my life. As a Christian publishing executive, I knew all about God, but I kind of had this mindset of, well, God gives me a brain, and God gives me strength and now it's up to me like I, now it's kind of up to me I didn't live as a son I really lived as a slave who had been given some good things God cares far more about who you are than what you do God really here's a hard truth
God really doesn't need you or me to get things done. He can, he can handle it. He doesn't need us to get things done. He wants us in relationship with him first. And here's the deal. Once you know who you are, you're going to do so much more. You can be productive, but let's be productive by putting presence first, being first, and then do from that. In the story of the prodigal son, all of you know it. We've heard it a billion times, but I want to just make one point about that. The first son, the young son, what was his identity? Somebody just shout out. What do you think his How did he see himself? What was he after? Yeah. He pursued pleasure, independence. That younger son wanted that. What about the older son? What was his identity? What was he pursuing? Yeah, you could do all that. I, I just put security. He was hanging around to get his inheritance. Okay? So two sons, neither understood sonship. Two sons, and both sought the inheritance of their father without relationship. In that story, only the father knows his identity. The father's waiting on the son to come back, not to make him a slave. Remember the younger son was saying, I'll be a slave. I can eat better as a slave here than I can with what I'm doing. But the father offered them something far more valuable, which was himself. See, that sonship is God offers himself. That's the number one thing we should desire from God, is not what we get, but him. The journey of your life will change when it becomes about relationship with God rather than either your inadequacies or your inheritance. So many people live in shame because their identity is twisted. The enemy or the world has robbed them of who they are as men. So we live with our inadequacies or, or we're looking for what we can get out of it. Let me show you this video. It's about... 50 seconds. It's of my son. He's a, he's a, he was nine at this time. Youngest son. I took him to the office where I work, and we have a really fun place at Ransomed Heart. Ping pong tables, foosball. Uh, it's a great place, and the afternoon guys are smoking cigars. You know, uh, it's, a, it's just a fun, manly atmosphere that boys love. Well, I took my son there in a summer day thinking we'd hang out together, and immediately the day got derailed, a rare day where I had to be in meetings and things were falling apart. So we get to play a few games of foosball, maybe 15 minutes out of four hours, and I felt like a failure as a dad. I really felt like a failure. So we get in my truck, and we're about to leave, and I just started talking to Chase, and I could tell God just prompted me, like, get your phone out and, and record this. And he was thankfully at an age where he didn't really you know, care that it was being recorded. He didn't change what he was saying. He didn't even really notice that much. So listen to what he has to say here, and then I want to share this next thought with you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't care what we're doing if it's with you. How come? Because it's with you. What if it's like doing... Uh, 
cleaning out the garbage bin? What if it's um, flying to Mars and killing aliens? Mm -hmm. What if it's... Uh, That'd be actually kind of fun. <laughs> what if it's playing foosball and winning again? That'd be fun? Mm -hmm. So just anything that we do together? Even if it's losing on foosball against girls. Even losing? Mm-hmm. Still won. Because we're doing it together? Uh-huh. Awesome. Hey, Chase. I love you. Love you, too. I love that video because here's the deal. This, that quote he said, I don't care what we do as long as we're doing it together. See, that's the mindset of a son. I'm talking about you and me as sons, not, not him now. That's the mindset we should have with God. God, I don't care what we get to do. Just let's do it together. You know, Moses said that in Exodus. He basically gets to the point where he tells God, Let's call the whole trip off if you're not in it. If you're not going with us, with us, then we call it off. But how much in life do we call off if we're not doing it with God? See, as men, it's so hard not to go, I got it now. Like, I've been doing this job for years. I got it. I don't have to think about it. I'll just make it happen. There ought to be a danger light going off there. That's orphan thinking. God doesn't make us to do things in our own strength. God doesn't need us to do things in our own strength. Frankly, our own strength is not that impressive to God. He'd far rather do it together. So the one word, like it's early in the morning. You guys have a million things to do. When we wrap up here in just a second, if you only remember one word, let it be the word with. That's the word. Am I doing life with God? Am I doing this with God? It kind of looks like that if you want a picture. It's not Atlas holding up the world on his shoulders. It's not proving yourself. It's that. It doesn't mean you're not strong. It doesn't mean you're a little boy. It means you're doing life as a grown man, as a son of God, with him as your father. And we've had some bad fathers in our lives. He's a good father. He's a really good dad. You want to know how to be a good dad to your kids? Learn how to be a good son first. You want to be a great dad? Be a great son. Step into that with God. It's not primarily, guys, what we do for God. That is screwed up theology. It is not what we do for God primarily. It's what you do with God. At the end of the day, the whole Bible is a love letter for relationship. It's not primarily a book of commandments. It's not primarily a book to teach stories from. It's primarily an invitation into relationship. I don't believe in heaven. Who knows? I don't know. I don't believe, though, in heaven we're going to be walking around reading the Bible. We're going to be in relationship with God. We'll be talking to David and Samson. We're not going to be going in, in you know, Philippians 4.17 we're going to be living it. See, that's the, the Bible is the gateway to relationship. It's not the end of itself. George MacDonald, a Scottish poet, theologian, author, had this great quote, Without God, man must fail miserably or succeed even more miserably. You can, you can believe in God but live life without God, and you may fail, 
Or you may have an even worse situation of outward success and total emptiness. Without God, it doesn't work. So success, if you want a definition of success, it's just this. Am I doing life with God? Am I running my business with God? It's so freeing on the drive home nowadays to go, all right, God, I don't know how I'm going to pay this bill. Okay, Father, what are we going to do? Instead of me creating a pro and con list and a balance sheet and a, and, and, and in a, situ- in a budget meeting with my wife to go, yeah, I don't know how that's going to work. I'm not, being, I'm not being passive. I'm saying I'm looking for God. I'm active. I'm in the game. I'm ready to go. I've thought through things. But we've got a good father. We don't have to figure it all out. In fact, here's the thing. You may think when you try to figure it all out, there's four options, and all four stink. And God goes, hey, I got about 50,000 options. Why don't you let go of your four and let me show you some options? It's like you're a kid going, I can't figure this out. And you walk in and go, oh, the answer is this, and walk away. And the kid's blown away. God has far more options than us. Success is just, are we doing it with him? There's a last scripture and then about a two-minute video I want to show you, and we'll wrap up with that, okay? This scripture has been one I love, and it's easy to remember. It's the message translation. But here's what it says. Stay with God. Four things. Stay with God. With. Stay with God. Take heart. Above all else, guard your heart. Don't numb your heart. Protect your heart. Don't quit. Run the race. There may be a lot of stuff we should quit that we haven't done with God, but the things you're doing with God, don't quit. Don't give up. And then the fourth thing, here's the thing. When I first read that, I was like, boy, as a former publisher, God, you're kind of being sloppy here because you've already said, like you said, stay with God. We don't need to say it again. We got it. But, but yet out of four things, the first and the last are repeated. Why is that? I think it's because we forget. We keep forgetting as men, as humans, stay with me. Follow me. Come with me. It's, I'm not, he doesn't give us a map because we'd follow the map. He wants us to follow him. Stay with me. When I take my son on trips around town... That boy, Chase, who you saw up there, here's the deal. He doesn't ask me where we're going. He just gets in the truck. He just wants to go. He doesn't ask me if I have enough gas. He doesn't ask me if I forgot my wallet. He doesn't ask me if I have the app on my phone to know where we're going. Like, it's total trust and good expectations. That's the way we should be sons with God. But instead, the conversation goes more like this. God invites us into something. Well, I don't know, God. Like, what's it going to look like? Well, just trust me. Follow me. Well, I, I mean, no. I need to know. Like, what, when I, if I do this move across the country, what's it going to be like? If I quit my job, what's going to happen? If I serve my wife without expecting her to change, what's that going to mean? How's that going to? And God just says, I got a big truck. You want to ride? You trust me? 
You're not driving. You're the son. You're not the father. You're the son. You want to go somewhere good? Get in the truck. See, my older kids now, they're at the stage, 13, 16. They're getting in the stage now where it's, hey, you want to come with me? I don't know. Where are you going? Can we get ice cream on the way home? Can we go get that thing I want at the comic store? Well, that's a little different, right? That's a little different spirit. That's a, well, I may go. What's in it for me? With God, he invites us into life with him without knowing where he's driving all the time. You trust him? You want to go? You think he's a good dad? This video I'm going to show you is of a guy named Derek Redman. Derek Redman was a phenomenal athlete, and he was training for the Olympics and forced to withdraw in the 1988 games in Seoul. Ten minutes before the race, his Achilles heel popped. He goes through four surgeries. His dad is a bear of a man and is this awesome father and is his trainer and best friend. So they rehabilitate, train, push through. Four years later, in Barcelona Olympics, he gets his chance. He's expected to win. And just a little bit from the finish line, his hamstring pops again. And he's done. So all the dreams gone, no more Olympics, no winning, all that work. His dad's up in the stands. His dad, there's high security at the Olympics. His dad barrels through it all to get to his son. And I want you to watch this video. And I want you to think about God as the father and you as the son in this video. Because here's the deal. The son, he doesn't have a lot of strength in that moment. He can't even make it to the finish line. It's not about what he does. It's about who he is. And watch the father's ferocious love for his son and also the ferociousness against anybody that tries to stop his son. His son decides to hobble his way to the finish line. So watch this. So what do you think the father thought of his son right then? Was it, man, you sure screwed up. We just spent four years training and your body falls apart. Look what happened, like all this for nothing? God doesn't sit up in the stands as our father with his arms crossed expecting you to get your act together and get it done. He runs out of the stands, puts his arm around you, and helps you to the finish line. And that's not, that's not like plan B. That's not just if you can't handle it. That's plan A. He wants to help us and do life together. In an interview after this happened, the father said two things. One, he said, I'm more proud of my son than if he had just run the race. Took a lot more guts to do that than it did just to run a race. And the father, when they, you don't see this on the video, but when they get to the finish line, the father stops and lets the son cross the finish line. But not in the son's own strength, leaning on the father. That sonship, that's the identity I want to talk to you and leave you with 
and hope it stirs something in your heart today is with you and God together. It's not head knowledge. It's not some verse you tape up. It's life on life. He's your dad. He's a good dad. He's got a big truck. You want to get in? You want to ride? He may not tell you where he's going. You want to go? That's sonship. That's doing it together. I don't care where we go as long as we do it together, Dad. And anything without that, you're living as an orphan. You can have all the head knowledge in the world. You can be saved. And you can go through this life as a Christian orphan. Don't do that. Trade anything for that. If the job's in the way, get rid of the job. If a lifestyle, an addiction, a habit's in the way, get rid of that. Put yourself in a position to need him and watch him come through and run down the stands for you. It's pretty cool. Thank you. Thank you so much, Alan. I love his heart. Whether he's speaking to a group like this or just sitting at a coffee shop, I mean, this, this is what comes out of him. And so let's just pray. When, when you're speaking, I'm, I'm reminded of John 15. Jesus gathered around his disciples saying, Abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me. It's the cry of his heart. Stay with me. Abide in me. Father, as we go about our day today, May we take what we just heard and, and put it into practice. May we walk this out at the office, on the job, in conversations today. May we walk with an awareness of your presence. May we have intimate conversations with you. May we have ears to hear what you're saying. May we respond to your promptings. And may we laugh with you today. May we experience your joy today. Help us to taste and see that you are good today in Jesus' name. Everybody says amen. Hey, good to see you guys. Uh, again, would love for you to join us on the 24th at Men's Night Out and then in September at the Advance. Have a great day. We'll uh, see you soon.